The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Shannon Penrod and we're back we were back yesterday too it seems like we've been uh, gone a lot this summer because we were because we needed it and but we're back and we're ready and raring to go and so thrilled to be here with all of you I'm already saying good morning to Alexis how are you I hope that you are well it's so good to see you here uh, we're gonna be live for the next hour here with you and we hope that you will interact because this whole show is meant to be informational, inspirational, and interactive. So uh, reminding you that right now we're live on YouTube, we're live on Twitter, we're live on Facebook Live, and we're also live on our homepage, autism-live.com. So we hope that you will check us out if you're watching us live on any one of those sites and that you will, you can respond on anyone. I see Alexis writing back to me. We uh, are excited to, to have you guys here. We also are live on a bunch of other sites, which Traven will show you um, throughout the next couple of minutes here, the places that you can go to check out where to see us. I want to remind you that we are a, a podcast and a free download wherever you get your podcasts. In fact, we are currently rated the number one autism podcast worldwide. And that's thanks to all of you because you've liked us, you've shared us, you've reviewed us, you've told friends because you know, you know, we don't spend money on marketing here. Uh, it's just not a part of our plan here. But we love that you guys take what you need here and share it with other people. You know, I'm always saying to you, we welcome the entire larger autism community here, which to me is the world, right? Because that community starts with individuals on the spectrum that act have an, uh, you know, the hashtag actually autistic. We, we start with those individuals. They are the beating heart of our community. They are complete and total why. So we, of course, have to start with them. But then we also here include everyone who loves those individuals, whether you are a sister, brother, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, teacher, uh, therapist, uh, behavior technician, you know, whatever, aunt, uncle, grandparent, we welcome all of you here. I believe that if that's not the world, it needs to be the world. And we hope that we can help you to find the things that are going to move your conversation forward and help you to get to the things that are important to you. And that's not a one size fits all. It can't be a one size fits all. Hey, Parker. I, I so appreciate Parker was so worried while we were out and I appreciated your uh, email questions asking if everything was well. You can see we're, we're all well. Uh, Mohib, thank you so much for being here with us. So this is how we love the conversation. You guys can be writing in and talking to us uh, and get your thoughts, your feelings, your questions, your concerns out and appreciated. We we really love when you guys interact with us. For those of you who are watching us recorded, though, I want to remind you, you can still send us messages. And the easiest way to do that is on our website, autism-live.com. There is a chat button at the bottom. It is not interactive. Uh, you won't get a response back. It doesn't have a way to respond back to you. We usually respond when we can on the live show here. You can absolutely leave us information of how to contact you back. We do our level best to get back when we can. It's I will be honest that I'm behind. Uh, hi, Raquel. I'm so glad to have you here. So we got a big show planned for you today. And uh, as I said, we're excited to be here. I do like to give the disclaimer at the start of the show that we have experts that are on the show. Oh my gosh, we have a great expert who's going to be joining us in a little while. Bonnie Yates is a special education attorney. I think pretty much everybody is back to school or back to school any minute now, right? And, and there's a lot 
there's a lot to talk about right now. So uh, we appreciate that uh, you guys might have questions and she is happy to answer those questions of a general nature and coming up in just a while. But my point was we have experts that are here on the show. I like to remind you that that's not my particular gig being here, my uh, my credentials to sit in this chair, if you will. I'm um, just over the moon proud mom of a young man who started college on Monday. We are day four of college. It's official. And uh, so excited to be in that portion of the program. So grateful for all the help and support. See, I get emotional that we got along the way because I remember you know, the day before he was diagnosed when he was two and a half. And I remember not being able to sleep that night and going, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if I have the strength to deal with it. I don't know. I certainly know we don't have the money to deal with it. I don't know what will ever become of us. Right. And look where we are. So that's why I'm here, not as an expert, as someone to help to cheerlead you on and help you to get to the answers that are important to you. It's not one size fits all. And so each person is an individual as part of a family that's an individual in a world with circumstances that are individual. So it can't be one size fits all. But I want to be here to help you to get to what you need. But don't imagine that I'm a mind reader. I always say I gave up mind reading to have a child. <laughs> I wasn't a mind reader before. So please uh, feel free to write in your questions and tell us what you're looking for. And we'll do our level best to help you to find what that might be. Uh, I love that there's always been already been a request for my email, which does show on the screen from time to time. But I thank you, Traven, our fabulous producer has put it in there. For you, if you need to get a hold of me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. There we go. I think we've taken care of all the business, except to say that this week in particular, we are, as a community, mourning the loss of the fabulous Ed Asner. I know tomorrow, during tomorrow's show, Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will be joining me, and she has some great Ed stories to tell. And so we're, we're going to continue to pay tribute to this amazing grandpa, dad, advocate, actor, and uh, humanitarian. He just was a great humanitarian, and he was very much a part of the autism community. We considered him a friend. Uh, I posted the other day on my Facebook. Oh, see, I'm so emotional today. Um, the first time I met Ed Asner was many, 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 many years ago. And I was in graduate school. I went to the National Theater Conservatory, got my MFA in acting. And uh, it was a great place. It was in Denver in this complex that had multiple theaters. And he was touring with Madeline Kahn doing Born Yesterday, getting ready to take it to Broadway. Great show. I mean, I love Garson Kanan's playwright. Great show, period. But to see Madeline Kahn and Ed Asner doing, I, I mean, these iconic roles, it was super duper fun. And this would have been like 1989. That's how old I am. And uh, anyway, I my night job was that I waitressed at the coffee shop that was a part of the theater complex. And so there I was waitressing and who's sitting in my section, but at Asner and uh, you know, he, he was just so sweet and lovely. And we got into a conversation and uh, I said, you know, I'm studying at the national theater conserving next door. And Hey, while you're here, uh, and I, I'd been like two nights before to Seaborn yesterday and I was spelling about it. And I said, while you're here, is there any chance that you would come and talk to the other students? And he didn't even hesitate. He said, yeah, sure, absolutely. Where do you need to be, me to be? When do you need to be, me to be? And we exchanged information, and, which I gave to my school, and I contacted him. And it was the day, and everybody was like, this is so exciting, Shannon, that you've got Ed Asner to come and speak to us. And, um, you know, they had, they somebody ushered him in, and he was in this little waiting room um, to come in. And they made me go and tell him it was time to, to come out and speak because I was the one who had set this up. And, um, but he was on the phone with someone having an extremely heated conversation. <laughs> like, whoo, like you don't ever, you never wanted Ed to be this mad at you. Um, and I had to interrupt him and, uh, and 
you know, that was super, super not fun. And, uh, but then he was so nice to me. He was very unhappy with the person on the phone, but so nice to me. And he came and he spoke and it was just amazing. And, and I was just always grateful that, you know, he could have been like, no, I'm not doing that for you. And why would I do that for you? But what I came to find out later on in life when our paths crossed again in the autism community is that that was completely and totally Ed. That if somebody needed him to be somewhere to support something, Ed found a way to be there. And he didn't just do it when he was young and healthy and hale and hearty. He continued to do it. Look at him. He continued to do it right up until the week that he died. Uh, he was still doing events, still participating, still showing up, still had a very active mind, was still working. Um, you know, he, there, there was a phrase that my grandmother would use that, you know, he was full of piss and vinegar, <laughs> that he, you know, wasn't going to take anybody's crap and he liked to tease. And um, in any case, a really incredible man who did a lot for the autism community and his legacy, which he was so proud of, is the Ed Asner Family Center that his son, Matt Asner, and his and Matt's wife, Nava Paskowitz Asner, who are regulars here on the show, they created that with Ed's help, with his blessing. Yes, oh, Carl. I, you know, there, there's a series of uh, videos that are about to come out that are uh, of Doug the dog with Carl. And in fact, there was just an event uh, a week to the day before he died that where Ed was doing interviews about that and members of the community, autism community got to be a part of it. And very soon, I think any day now, those the short, a series of short uh, cartoons with Doug and Carl are coming out, working till the end. Uh, so we love Ed. We Ed, I know you can hear me uh, up in heaven. Thank you for all the laughs. Thank you for all the wonderful work that you've done. But thank you for being our our autism grandpa for so many of our kids. They, we're going to talk tomorrow with Nancy and Vince Redmond's going to be here. I know that a lot of the the kids that were that participated at the Ed Asner Center are really having a hard time because, and so are the parents, you know, how do you explain grief and the feeling of grief and the feeling of loss to kiddos and teens and adults on the spectrum? So we'll talk about all of that. Uh, oh, look at Parker giving us the link already to the Doug and Carl shorts. Uh, thank you, Parker. Um, in any case, uh, and Parker, I see that you, you want to ask Bonnie questions about the tension due to the masks. I'm sure that Bonnie will be willing to talk about that as well. Okay, we have to because we're, we're running low on time and we want to get to Bonnie. Um, and we'll continue to talk about Ed the next couple of days because it's going to take a few days to talk about all of it. But uh, let's go on right now to the jargon of the day. This is the time of day when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We try to make sense of it. First, we give you the actual definition, which is put out by the experts. Then we make fun of it and them for the way they talk, uh, because that's really the only fun we can have with it. And then we give you a working definition, which is a little less precious, and hopefully we can put it into context for you. The thing I always want to remind everybody is don't let the jargon overwhelm you. But also don't ignore it because jargon in any field is there to make things faster, right? Waitresses have jargon because you don't want to say, you know, uh, macaroni and cheese. So you say, I need a mac and cheese, right? And, you know, and you, you make it shorter, uh, less time. So I always remember somebody would say, I need an Adam and Eve on a raft, burn them. Uh, waitress jargon. Uh, so of course we have autism jargon. Of course we have ABA jargon, but we don't want to let it overwhelm us. Yeah. Uh, we take it a little bit at a time, you know, we're eating that elephant one bite at a time. So today's jargon term, there it is, random rotation. And doesn't it sound like we're at a square dance or something? Random. All right, everybody, random rotation now. Twirl, twirl your girl, right? I, I these terms. Uh, okay, but obviously that's not what it means. So let's take a look at what the actual definition is and see what there is to be made fun of. Some of them are really bad. Some are okay. Random rotation, a procedure used during discrimination training in which the target is interspersed randomly with other targets. Often the other tar targets have been previously mastered. Okay. Well, you know, if you know ABA and you know what discrimination training is and you know what a target is and you know uh, what ha being previously mastered is, then this is 
then you're fine. <laughs> but if you don't, uh, you got you got a boat with no paddle here, right? So let's now uh, move forward. Doesn't it sound like something that a procedure? First of all, when you say something is a procedure, I automatically think of scalpels. There's no scalpels in random rotation. Let's be clear about that. Uh, and discrimination training sounds just horrible, doesn't it? Uh, and previously mastered targets. Ooh, that, then I'm picturing bows and arrows. So all of it is a mess in my brain. Let's move on to our working definition and see what the hey nani nani are those experts talking about. Okay, so randomly switching between the behavior you are teaching, the current target, and the behavior responses the child already knows. This is not much better. And you know why? Because this is something that's better shown than discussed. Because once you see it, then you go, Okay, well, that makes complete and total sense. Why do we have to make it more difficult than it is? So first of all, let's talk a little bit about when when you're trying to teach something to somebody. Sometimes you just pick things up, right? And that's fantastic. If you can just pick something up, swell. But there are other things that are skills that you don't just pick up. And sometimes there are some people who are just good at some things and they pick things up, but the rest of us really have to take a minute and sort of do it outside. The example I always use is if you're going to learn to do downhill skiing, right? And I guess there are some people that you could just put skis on their feet and take them to the top of the mountain and they're going to be okay skiing. Well, you know what? Yay for them. But that's kind of dangerous, isn't it? Because what if they hurt themselves, right? I think most people would tell you that you don't go straight to the mountain to ski. You go to ski school, which is on the mountain, but at the bottom of the mountain, and you learn a couple of safety procedures first. And we don't teach them to you while you're skiing down the mountain. We teach them separately, aside, in a controlled environment where we just isolate the thing that we're teaching you how to do, how to stick your skis together to make a plow to slow yourself down. I'm saying this as a person who doesn't ski. <laughs> Can I just make sure that I say that? But this is the, this, when you take somebody to the side and teach them how to point their skis together, you're really doing discrimination training. You're, you're really teaching them, okay, this is this maneuver, which we're not teaching any other move. It's taking one thing and, and, and basically teaching somebody, this is what this is. And this is the difference between this and this other thing. And now you know it. Now you know how to stop as opposed to how to put your skis straight and go forward. You will learn to discriminate between the two of those things, skis forward, moving, skis together, stopping. So you're just learning to discriminate between those two different things. So stop and think about all the different things that you wanna teach a person and, and you have to teach them to discriminate between this and this. Cause I can just teach you that this is a pen. I can just drill, this is a pen, this is a pen, this is a pen. But at some point, I need for you to understand, I don't think I have one, I don't think I have a pencil. All right, well, I have a back scratcher. So at some point, I need for you to understand that this is a pen and this is a back scratcher. That there is a difference between this has different features than this has, but what about this? This is also a pen. Ooh. What's the difference between these two pens? And at some point I'll teach you how to discriminate between this is a gel pen and I use it for certain things and this is a fine tip marker that I use for different things, right? So when we teach something, if we really want somebody to understand something, I don't just teach this is a pen. I have to teach the features of it eventually and I have to teach the context of it, what it does. And, and in doing that, I want to teach you the difference between a pen and a back scratcher. But eventually you're going to get it to the point where you understand fully what a pen is and I can move off of that, right? Uh, and to begin with, I might just want you to understand that this is a pen and that it draws. Right? Later on, I will want you to distinguish between a pen and a pencil. And one has lead and it writes a certain way, and the and this one has ink, right? And then eventually I'll get to discriminating between the gel pen and the fine tip marker, right? <clears throat> it's a lot. But that's basically what discrimination training does, is it teaches you one thing isolated from the other thing. So 
when we're teaching in this DTT, discrete trial training, which is discrimination training, um, we start out by just teaching one thing at a time because it, it, we want you to understand first that this is a pen. Okay, because I can't teach you the difference between a pen and a pencil if, if you don't first understand that this is a pen. Um, <clears throat> but so I begin with errorless learning and I might say to you, uh, you know, touch the pen and there's nothing else here. So you touch the pen. Fantastic. And I reward you for that. And I tell you, good job. And, and we might do this many times until we make sure that you understand this, you know, this is a pen, you touch it and everything is happy. But do you really know what a pen is? No. Can you really know what a pen is by just saying touch pen? No, it's that's step number one. So eventually what I do is I take the pen and I take other things that you don't know what they are, like a back scratcher. And maybe um, I have a little um, index card holder and I give you, so this is, this would be known as a field of three. And I say to you, touch the pen. Well, you might think that I'm just meaning touch the object, right? So you the cards. And, and then what I would do is I would say, no, and, and I, not in a, in a terrible way, but just no, to let you know, to get you, give, you, give you feedback that that wasn't the right answer. But then I would do it again and say, touch pen. And I might give you a prompt so that you've touched the pen. And then I give you big reward. Yes, that's the pen. This is how I begin to discriminate between the card, the, the cards, the, the back scratcher and the pen is that when, when, I, when you say touch pen and I touch this one, I get all the things that are wonderful. I get praise. I get, so now I begin to discriminate. Oh, when she says the p uh, N sound, she means this. I'm learning to discriminate, right? So this process of just using the one thing and teaching the one thing, that's a mass trial. Even if I have a field of three, they call that a mass trial. But eventually I do this a bunch of times and every time I say touch pen without prompting, you touch the pen and I go crazy with praise. And eventually we say, okay, I think you know what a pen is. Great, I'm gonna move on. And now I teach the back scratcher or something else. I might teach water bottle, touch the bottle, right? Touch the bottle. And so now you know a little bit about, oh, she likes it when I touch it and she goes crazy and I get, you know, tickles and bubbles and things when I do, you know, when I do this. Great. So I, she says, touch the bottle. I'm touching the bottle. Fabulous. Until then, once you get it, then we add in two unknown things again. And I say, touch the bottle and you're still touching the bottle. Great. We think that you've got bottle and you've mastered bottle and, and you've got pen. Now we do random rotation. This is where the random rotation comes in, where I go touch the pen and you touch the pen and I go, yes, you got it. And I move them around and now I go touch the bottle and you might go to touch the pen and then I'll go, no, uh, not, not judging you. Right. But I, you know, let's try again. And I say, touch the bottle and you touch the bottle. Yes, you got it. And now I, I randomly rotate them. See, get it now. I randomly rotate them and I, but now it's, it's really the target that I'm randomly rotating. The last time I asked you for the bottle, this time I'm going to say, touch the pen. So now it's not just this rote response. Now you're thinking about it and, she, and you're discriminating the sounds and you're going, okay, she said, touch the bottle, which is this, or she said, touch the n, which is this. And when we get to random rotation, we get to see, do they know it? Or do we need to teach some more? Did they get it? Are they able to, if I say touch the, the bottle, regardless of where it is in the field, they know to touch the bottle. If I say touch the pen, they know to touch the pen. Now I can do this with anything under the sun. Anything under the sun, you can teach anything this way. That's just the most basic thing. So it becomes a thing of what do you want to teach? But a lot of people look at DTT and they, they go, oh, it's just, you know, you're, you're teaching them to mindlessly know. No, in the beginning, we're making it so that it's absolutely, they get it right every time. But at a certain point, it switches to, okay, I have to think and I have to discriminate between a pen, a water bottle, and things that I don't even know what they are.
And just like in The Miracle Worker with Annie Sullivan and Helen Keller, she kept trying to get her to discriminate between these hand motions that she was making in her hand and understand that those were letters and that the letters equaled water. And it took a long time for Helen Keller to understand. But once she got one and it made sense, it was like, oh, and then it took very little time for her to get the second one. And then, then there was full understanding and she was curious. She was like, all right, well, what are we calling this one? Or what is this? And went on to be an author and a you know, somewhat an influencer, what we would call an influencer now. But it started with a whole lot of work to get her to understand this means this. And, uh, and you're going to discriminate between this is one thing. And, you know, that, you know, this uh, is, you know, is an L, but that is different from what an O is, right? She had to discriminate those. And the D-O-L-L meant doll. And that is different than W-A-T-E-R, which is water. But it gets so exciting when the, I think the hardest part is when they aren't having to discriminate, when it's just like one thing, but we want them to be successful. But if you're doing good DTT, it really, really lights up a brain. Um, and it gives them the ability to discriminate for themselves. I get really defensive when people say that, you know, ABA just turns people into robots. Cause you know, that's what I was told. And my son started a full six months later. Um, and we drug our feet because I didn't want him to turn into a robot done well. No, it teaches them how to discriminate for themselves. This is different from this. What do you want to teach? What do you want to teach? It's all very exciting. Uh, hey, Maggie on fire. She says, I love the way you explain, but can you please include like live examples included in the videos? You know, uh, I, yes, I will take that under advisement and we can, uh, we'll work on that. That'll take me a little while to get to do because it's all the clearances of the kids and the videos and all of that stuff. But um, yeah, we can absolutely do that. We can absolutely do that. Thank you, Maggie, for that suggestion. Okay, so uh, moving on, we always have a question of the day. And our question for you today is, what do you do when you're bored? What's your thing to do when you're bored? And I really want you to think about this for a second because I think most of us have experienced boredom in the last two years in some fashion or another. And this is a really important question for all of us to be asking because some people don't know what to do with boredom. And um, some people eat, right? <laughs> Not a good thing. Uh, some people do, oh, and I, I see that I have other people who agree and, and it's not the best thing to do, right? Um, other, other people engage in all different kinds of activities. And, I, and the reason why I bring this up is because we all do this. And I think that uh, sometimes we talk about perspective taking on this show and how important it is to teach perspective taking. But I think it's that we got to start with that ourselves. So if you are a parent or a teacher or a loved one of someone who's on the autism spectrum, I, before you start trying to teach them perspective taking, I want to ask you, are you doing good perspective taking? Because some of the things that I think freak us out the most when our, when our kids or teens are first diagnosed is what people call the stimming stuff, the self-stimulatory behaviors that uh, they tend to be the things that people notice first and, and they'll qualify them as being odd or peculiar or even, I hate to say this, but they'll say, oh, well, it's just this weird behavior as if it doesn't serve a purpose. Want to remind everybody, every behavior that we do has a purpose. It's fulfilling a need. So we first want to look at what purpose is it filling and that sometimes the purpose it's fulfilling is I'm bored. And, and so I don't have something else to do. Now, we don't ever want to say cut and dry that it all is because it isn't. We really have to be looking at things and saying, why is it happening? But for instance, for those of you who have kids or you yourself flap, we got to ask ourselves why. What does this do for the individual? It's not random. 
We talked about random rotation. There's nothing random about this. This is a behavior and it has a function. Now for some people, I, I mean, I just want to encourage everybody to do this for a second and see what it does to you. Well, first of all, it's air moving on my face and it's warm in here. This is pleasant, right? So it might be that I'm doing this to cool myself down, right? It might be that I'm bored and I don't have anything else to play with. And if you move your hands fast and you squint, you can see colors, right? It's a form of entertainment. So it might start as something, you know, that I do to cool myself, but then I notice I can see colors. And if I flap at different levels and different, you know, I'm keeping myself entertained and I can see colors, it also for some people has a calming effect. That if I'm nervous, you know, we've all done this, if we're nervous, when we go, oh, right? There's something about it that it has a sensory component to it. It has many sensory components to it. So my point in bringing all of this up is that when we're looking at behaviors, something that we want to consider, especially as we're going back to school, I used to be a school teacher and I, I, I was always sensitive to the fact that there are some kids who are sitting in that classroom that are bored bananas. And sometimes it's because they don't understand what's happening because they're missing something. I used to say they're, they're like Swiss cheese. They Something was going on in second grade and they didn't get this core thing. And so they consequently, they don't understand the other stuff. So they tune out and they become bored and then they get into all kinds of mischief. Sometimes it's because they already know this and it's just not interesting, right? But I, you know, at the core, we have a responsibility, especially with young people, to help them to deal with boredom productively. But we also have a responsibility to try to engage them, to light their brains up with things that they will find interesting. So if I just want everybody to consider what do you do when you're bored and how much of it is positive and how much of it is not productive, let's say that. And that we be kind when someone we love is engaging in a behavior that we look as problematic or challenging. Have we considered, are they bored? This, this would come under the heading of an antecedent modification. If you watch the show and, and hear us talk about this, that, um, you know, especially if you're taking kids someplace where you know you're going to have to wait, they're going to get bored. And then at a certain point, they're going to engage in a behavior to take away that boredom. And chances are, it's going to be a challenging behavior. If it's hard for your child to wait, have you given, have you taken into consideration what Dr. Grand Pichet was saying yesterday? Is it fair what we're asking them to do? Give them something to do. I used to have a zipper bag that my mom made that was all zippers. The whole thing was made from zippers. So you could open it at any point. So just playing with the zippers was fun. But we would stick little wind-up toys, silly putty, and things in it. And it always went with us. If I was in a store, if I was in a restaurant, if I was in a doctor's office, the zipper bag was with us. And if I needed it, I handed it to my child and he, you know, he would play with one thing and then he'd play with another thing. Boredom did not happen. So we didn't get into challenging behavior. Just putting it out there, be mindful. Like for yourself, when you're bored, are you doing something that that's productive? But if you see someone you love engaging in behavior, it's just one of the many questions you can ask yourself. Is this a product of boredom? Because if it is, super easy to change. You engage the person. You give them something that's meaningful to them. And then, you know, the boredom is satisfied. Uh, I love somebody said, when I'm bored, I listen to music uh, and clean my apartment. Oh my gosh, do you hire out? But, but that brings up a great point that, um, you know, I think that cleaning is a, I don't love to clean. It's not my thing, but I so enjoy it when I'm listening to music and I will clean better and longer if good music is playing. Isn't that fun? Uh, uh, Alex is asking us to please help in Honduras. The government is closing, uh, APO autism, the place where we can go with our autistic children. Alex, will you do me a favor and send me an email and let us know more, um, so that we can know what it is that you guys need for help.
so please email me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. But hey, Bonnie Yates is here. Oh, I, I think I have one, our topic this week. Really quickly, our topic this week is one size doesn't fits all. And boy, ain't that the truth? I, we talked about that in the opening. And I think um, wh- everything that Bonnie is going to say is probably going to be through that filter as well, because she's going to be talking with us about special education and knowing your rights. So having said that, I want to welcome Bonnie Yates back to the show. We haven't seen her in about a month. We've been gone. She is a wonderful special education attorney with Tolner Law Offices, and we are so excited and thrilled to have the opportunity to have her here with us. Miss Bonnie, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good um, to see you again. We are happy to be back on the show because yes. there's a lot of stuff um, coming up at the beginning of the year, just the way it did in March 2020 when school closed. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I'm surprised, but I felt a little bit like, oh, I thought I knew all the new rules now, but they keep, they keep doing stuff. So anyway, I'm from Tolner Law Offices. The last time we, I checked. We're a 12 attorney firm. We've got a strong presence throughout the state and an attorney that's also licensed in Arizona. Um, This show is intended to cover topics of general interest and importance so you can advocate for your own child. Um, It's not a substitute for actually a, a consultation. And I've had a few people from Autism Live reach out to me, and I think they'll tell you, I think it's fair to say, I spend you know, a good hour going over your records and talking to you about your options. And we, you know, we do that free of charge. Um, and the reason for that is because um, we think that, you know, you have choices and you need an opportunity to explore them in an atmosphere that's individualized for your child. This show isn't a substitute for that. Um, so, you know, the disclaimer is you can Find us in California and Arizona. If you live in another state, COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot net is a good place to start in terms of finding an attorney in your state. Um, I've met these people at national conferences Mm -hmm. and they're pretty committed. And and most of them come to the disability the way I did, which was that I had a four-year-old in uh, 1994 who was diagnosed with autism. So it isn't one size fits all. And, and in fact, there is a, a lady in our office that has a um, severe autism uh, child. And she was just talking about this yesterday, that it's not one size fits all, you know. So, but we are going to talk about some things that are kind of one size fits all today. The biggie for starters is in California is AB 130. And maybe you want to write in and tell us what they're doing in your state. But this is kind of a big deal. So in California, most school districts don't have a virtual online option available to students the way they did last year. And there are exceptions, like Irvine Unified is is doing an online program. Um, And I believe um, others are as well. But in the main, uh, what you're left with is several problems. Okay, so one problem is that in um, Southern California, the health department is quarantining students for 10 days after they have an exposure from another child in their class. So I had an LA Unified student who went to school on Monday and on Wednesday he was excluded. So he was excluded for for, um, 10 days, but then it turned out he had a negative test and they they decided, I mean, this seems quite subjective to me, they decided he wasn't that in that close contact with the student who tested positive, so they let him come back after positive test and after five school days. The problem that you can see developing is in California, also the law is that they don't have to put an emergency plan into your IEP. They don't have to implement the emergency plan in your IEP until school has been closed for 10 days. And if you think about this, it's really not designed for kids with um, disabilities. It's really supposed to be for everybody. So it's really like what is supposed to happen if school is closed for 10 days um, and in what kind of education are people going to get if they have a 504 plan and so on. Anyway, be that as it may, for people with IEPs, you could see how the problem would develop. You would have an exposure. The quarantine is 10 days. Depending on where in the week it falls, 
you probably miss eight school days and then it's okay to go back to school again, thus never triggering the requirement for the emergency plan. So you got to take a look at your emergency plan and your IEP. They're supposed to put it in there when they meet with you next. And they're not supposed to be generic. There's case law on that. But if you look at any um, LA Unified IEP, the uh, the plans are not only are there no no um, services and it's completely generic, but it also says we'll contact you once school closes and then we'll figure out what the plan is going to be, um, which I think is 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 pushing it a little. So let me just. I have a question. Yeah. Can I can I ask? So it, it, is the language such that it has to be cl closed ten consecutive days? Because I'm thinking ten days is bad enough. No, but what happens? Consecutive. It's ten. It's ten days. Okay. So you could see that you would only miss eight days of school because if you're excluded on Monday, you miss four days that week, then the weekend, then five days the next week, and then the quarantine's over. Right, but then you could come back to school and three days later be excluded again. And yes. I'm just trying exactly. to see if at some point it would be triggered or you could go the whole year and, and be excluded most of the time. But well, it would be triggered eventually. Well, our, our position is that it was never intended to cover multiple successive quarantines of up to 10 days because you could see how somebody could miss eight days 10 times at different points yeah. and then they would have missed 80 school days. But yeah. what I'm really seeing is that the districts aren't prepared. Yeah. So I went to an IEP meeting the other day because for the student who's let back in after five days and we asked them to address this and they said they didn't have any ability to give them in-home services. LA Unified is taking the public position that they can't provide in-home services, but they are contracting out with with agencies in cases where they're settling with people, but they're trying to keep that a secret. Hmm. So they said no home services. And then we said, what about virtual? And they said, no, all we can offer you is emails and packets of work. And they cited, they cited something called AB 130. Okay. So AB 130 in California is hot off the press. It is not supposed to be used in the situation um, because uh, it says right in it that an individual with exceptional needs as, de as defined in section 56026 shall not participate in independent study unless the pupil's individualized education program de developed pursuant to article three um, specifically provides for that participation. So for other students, what they're offering in, in lieu of virtual school is they're offering independent study. That's education code 51745. But it doesn't apply to kids that have IEPs. And this is what they used to, to tell me that all they were going to be able to do was, you know, independent study. I mean, he's a five-year-old kindergartner, for God's sakes, with autism. So independent study homework packets and emails with the parents. And they, they are taking their position based on AB 130. So I said, um, why are you taking this position? And they said, because the board has to tell, the board told us we have to do it this way. And I said, what are their reasons? And they said, we have no idea, but our hands are tied and we agree with you. And this is a bad situation, but there's nothing we can do about it. And you'll have to go to due process, um, which, um, is exactly what is happening. But I went and looked at the IEP today, and they didn't even they didn't even memorialize what we discussed, and they didn't you know mention that they themselves had said they thought this was a bad idea. So <sighs> fortunately, fortunately, that meeting got recorded. But anyway, the question for you all is, and you could send questions in, and we could talk more next week. What are you doing? How is it working? What would you know be better? What would you like to do instead? Um, I think that's really topical now because not everyone is going back to school and people who are going to school are, you know, going for sometimes four days and then they're quarantined again. It's, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, this is going to, it seems as if this is going to go on for a while. So that's AB 130. What are they doing in your state? And is it better elsewhere? Do you have more op options as far as homeschooling, you know, district Sending personnel to the home district 
offering you a virtual program that's actually got some substance. Um, so these are the new issues that we have to deal with right now. Well, one of the issues that I've heard come up this week, especially for our, our little guys and gals, is yeah. that um, schools drug, in, and I heard this for two separate states. I heard this for Texas, and I heard this for Illinois. Separate, totally separate cases, but very similar that schools drug their their feet. Um, so that there, in in one of the cases, the child could have gone to kindergarten last year, but didn't have to go until this year. And parents started trying to enroll the child in March. Two, school started two weeks ago, and they still have not enrolled the child. And they and they said that they aren't able to assess the child, so they can't enroll them. And they've offered a placement at another school until such time as that their schedule is available to assess the child. And the family is like, "Wait a second, how can you how can you offer a placement when you haven't even evaluated?" And well, and the same thing, they have to conduct those assessments, and they can't stall them. Where the yeah. wiggle room has been is districts have done crazy stuff like taking a private assessment that's two years old and using that to get the baselines and write the goals or doing observation only, no testing and calling in an assessment. So I think if you have them doing assessments that you can attack them. And if you didn't have assessments and you should have, you can attack them also. So that's assessment is another issue. Um, yes. Thought, you know what I thought you were going to say was masking. Because I've had a lot of questions and and, and calls. What do you about, mean by that? Oh, um, students that are not going to be allowed back in school unless they wear a mask. Oh, oh, well, you know, we did have somebody at the start of the hour said that they wanted to talk to you specifically about mask and about mm -hmm. how you feel about all the hoopla about the mask on both sides. But I'm just saying that in two different cases this week, two different states where where they just the school just didn't respond to the parents and didn't enroll the kid, which to uh, me I mean, seems clear violation of fate, right? Probably, yeah. I mean, you know, I I would need to know a little bit more about the sure. chronology, but you know, if somebody's trying to go to school, usually if they don't go to school, we direct them to the district attorney's office for you know a, a school absence hearing. So it is, it is, I think you're going to see um, a lot of continued stuff that you're going to need to think about twice, you know, like, because it's when I was hearing this at the meeting where they said, you know, you can't do anything about your problem of quarantine. I was having to think in real time and I kind of had to get off the phone and read AB 130 and talk to some of my colleagues and, and, you know, figure it out. But um, I wanted to share with people also Again, this is from California, but I think you can find stuff from your, your own state. Um, there's new guidance on, um, on several things. So one is that, that they have just authorized um, the provision of in-person supports and services to small groups of students with disabilities. So, you know, unlike what the district is saying, the um, state is saying, that, uh, well, they just say the, the guidance provides uniform messaging regarding the required health and safety practices needed to prevent the spread of COVID-19 across settings. And then some of the ideas are small group learning for students with disabilities and district or school hubs for distance learning and childcare. The um, California Department of Public Health guidance related to cohorts is available on the California Department of Public Health website. In addition, the um, Department of Health released a set of frequently asked questions about how the guidance applies. So we're gonna talk about the guidance a little bit. The, the big picture concept is if your kid can't wear a mask to school and you go to your doctor and you get a medical exemption, I think they have to deal with it. Um, I thought I was being kind of cute and smart because I just said to my client, send your you know, moderately severe um, autistic kindergartner to school with the mask on and that let them figure it out. Um, but then what happened is he was taking it off on the bus and he started spitting at people. And so the bus driver said, this is a warning and after that you're out. So of course we had to reach out to the bus driver and said, well, he's got an IEP, that's a change of placement because transportation's in his IEP. So watch out for those issues. But anyway, um, the guidance does say that they can provide learning opportunities in, in small groups 
They don't need to have a waiver. Um, that there's new guidance on distance learning, which um, concerns how the IEP will be provided under emergency conditions. I was calling it an emergency plan in which instruction or services or both cannot be provided to the pupil either at the school or in person for more than 10 school days. The description must be included in the development of each initial IEP or addressed at the regularly scheduled revision of an IEP and must take public health orders into account. So most of the IEPs that I've looked at, the emergency plan is completely generic. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not a plan. Um, where can I find more information about the requirements for distance learning and instructional time? The CDE, California Department of Education, has established a website dedicated to providing guidance and resources for teachers and families in K-12 schools regarding high quality distance learning. And they give you a link. So even if you're in other states, I mean, you can probably find what your state is doing, but you can get some ideas here too. Um, and then there are other questions about how does how do the requirements for distance learning and instructional minutes impact SAI, specialized academic instruction? Um, what are considered emergency conditions? So emergency conditions can be a lot of things. They don't have to be a, a pandemic. They could be something else like fire, flood, impassable roads, epidemic, earthquake, the imminence of a major safety hazard, a strike involving transportation services to pupils provided by a non-school entity and so on. So, you know, this really should have been in people's IEPs all along because you can you can just think about like the Lake Tahoe area and those kids are not going to be in school, obviously. Right. Um, so is the takeaway here though, Bonnie, that we all need to, as and as people are doing IEP catch-up meetings and sometimes people have fall IEPs, and even if we had our IEP and had it in the spring, we should be looking at it, seeing does it have an emergency plan, and if it doesn't, asking for a plan um, or, or a meeting to make a plan. Yeah, developed at the IEP team meeting so that they can get input from the parents, so it's not generic. It's not going to be enough to say you'll be able to log on and have you know thirty minutes a day of um, of synchronous instruction, which is what AB one thirty is saying they can have. You know, they you really got to talk about how how it's going to work at home. So, so really, then all of us should be writing to our schools and saying, "I would like an." I if, if we look at our IEP and this isn't there, we should be writing to the school and saying, "I would like an IEP meeting scheduled for us to create an emergency plan in case." Of I anticipate that there will be a lot of episodes of quarantining this school year. Yeah. Okay. Um, something to me that was like so obvious, duh, and I can't believe I didn't figure it out. But all last year, I was like, this is so great. Young kids aren't getting COVID. Well, I thought it was, oh, the variants change, it's more contagious, and that's why we're seeing so much COVID, and that's maybe true. But this person pointed out, yeah, but also our kids are back at school. They were at home for a year and a half, and that cut down a lot on the transmission of COVID. So it's really a, a, a very... Um, difficult situation, but the the description of the means by which the IEP will be provided under emergency conditions must be part of the IEP. Okay. Senate Bill 98 amended Section 56345 of the Education Code and added the requirement that an IEP include a description of the means by which the IEP will be provided under emergency conditions effective July 1, 2020. It applies to the development of initial IEP, an initial IEP, the next regularly scheduled, or the next re regularly scheduled revision of the IEP. Because all students must have an annual IEP, all IEPs in the state should include this description by June 30th, 2021. Okay, well, so that date has passed, and so everybody should pull out their IEP and look and see if it's in there. And if it's not, you're going to have to advocate ask in writing for a meeting, how long do they have? If you request a meeting, how long do they have? Is it state by state? 30 days. So within 30 days, they have to hold the meeting to create this part of your child's IEP. And we think it's going to be important. It probably already is important. And you have to give consent to it or they won't implement it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Or that's what the, that, you know, sometimes districts implement, even though they don't have consent. But, the, but that's what the, the law says. Um, 
So uh, what if the description of the means by which an IEP will be provided under emergency conditions inadequately addresses or anticipates the needs of the student in an event of an emergency? So the, this is the Department of Ed response. IEP teams are required to meet when a student demonstrates a lack of expected progress. Additionally, the parent or the teacher may request an IEP meeting at any time to discuss and address concerns with student access, including a lack of resources or ineffectiveness of the means by which the IEP is being provided under emergency conditions. So you should be having, you know, people making due process challenges to the provision and implementation of the emergency um, plan. Um, it sounds like then, so we have to, we have to ask for the meeting, check the IEP, see if it's in there, ask for the IEP meeting, hold the IEP meeting, argue about what it is, get to an agreement about it. But then we still have to go back to what we were doing last year, which is document, 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 because if it's not working, you have to go back to them and say, it's not meeting your child's needs. Uh, correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. That's a lot. That's also, a lot. So if the LEA has good reason to believe that due to emergency conditions, instruction or services or both cannot be provided to the pupil either at the school or in person for more than 10 school days, the LEA may implement the provisions outlined in the description before 10 school days have elapsed. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good. I don't um, know if they're going to, but. Right. But at least there's that opportunity, the possibility of it. Okay, I want to switch for just a minute and talk about, because they want to know your feelings about the mask situation. Parker has said in his state, masks aren't mandatory, but the county itself is requiring the masks just till the beginning of October. This is a tough situation. They want to know your opinion on, you know, all of the mask discussion in school in light of our kids and, and the issues that our kids have, both on being more susceptible, often they have hampered immune systems, but also it's a sensory issue that sometimes mm -hmm. for some kids makes it harder. Where, where are you on all this? Well, I've really tried to stay out of any political discussions because I don't want to alienate your listeners. Sure. Um, and personally, I was just very fortunate. And yesterday I was able to go and get a booster shot. So I've now had three vaccinations. So I'm definitely in the school a person that's proactively protecting myself. And um, so that's just, you know, to give you an idea of, of where my bias is. But I also see that there are children who... Um, who can't do it. So that's the question is, is, you know, how do you decide who can do it and who can't? At my grandson's preschool, the rule is when they're two years old, they teach them how to wear masks, which I think, like, it just makes me crazy to think about a two world, but he's doing it, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess what I would say is, um, I feel like those of us that can um, wear a mask um, should, um, for the benefit of the greater good. And if you have a child that you're sending to school and, and the mask isn't working, then you have to come up with how you're going to deal with that. Are you going to get an outright, outright medical exemption? Are you going to come up with some sort of tiered plan where maybe you keep trying the mask and you try to increase the time a little bit more every day? Uh, I, I really do think it has to be case by case. And I, I, I just, you know, my heart goes out to people because we're kind of in new territory, just the way we were in March, 2020. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, I, thank you for that, Bonnie. Uh, you know, I think uh, it goes right hand in hand with our, our topic for this week, that it's not, nothing is a one size fits all. I, I know that when we started covering masks on the show, people were writing in and saying my child on the spectrum, whether my child was two or 32, they were saying, mm -hmm. this, this is not going to happen. The mask thing mm -hmm. is not going to happen. It's a sensory nightmare. Every single person who wrote in and said, there's no way that they're going to be able to do this. We had experts that were on here and talked about how you desensitize it so that they Every single in every single case, that individual is wearing their mask like a trooper. I don't. I know that doesn't mean that everyone can, but I do want to suggest to people if you want to protect your child, there are. We've done shows on it in the last few months about how to desensitize um, so that you can get to that point as well. We we've had amazing success with that. 
And you um, know, the the yeah. emergency plans can include parent training. So you you can kind of put the burden on them and say, hey, I want to partner with you, but you guys are the experts. Let's talk about a plan that you know you can teach me how to do this. I mean, yeah. unfortunately for them, they're in a tough position because they have to control the situation at school. And yeah. with little little kids in classrooms of you know 20 plus children, I think it must be really hard. Okay. Uh, we're about out of time here. Thank and I do want to, somebody wrote in a question and said, how do you keep a child with ASD occupied on long flights? We've done shows about this before. I talked before, Bonnie, about having just going to restaurants and things and having a zipper bag. Yeah, full I like that idea a lot. Stuff. And, you know, one of the things before it, it became an issue, one of the things that Dr. Grand Pichet used to say is to buy, go to the dollar store, buy toys and wrap them in foil and have a bag of foil balls so that your child has to take time to unpeel them. You really can't do that now with all the things you have to go through TSA. But we mm -hmm. have had people take a bunch of tissue paper, a bunch of toys and a thing of masking tape. You go through the the um, sensory thing, right? And you very quickly, with your child's help, you wrap up. They can see all the toys. You wrap them in the tissue paper, and you um, then put the masking tape around it. And uh, you you get on the plane, and then they have to unwrap all of them. It makes a little bit of a mess, but there's nothing that will set off alarms, and it keeps them occupied. And then they play with the toy for a little while, and then they unwrap another one. Um, but that's one of the things that we've done in the past. Just wanted to throw that in there. So, Bonnie, um, tell us about Tolner Law Offices, and then we have well, to Well, I, I will. I have another suggestion, which I, oh, yeah, hate, you. I hate. I would try to take a red eye so that at oh. least for part of the flight, you know the child's going to sleep. Hopefully. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, Toner Law Offices, um, go to our website. If you want a free consultation, fill in the form. If you have questions about all of this for next week, send them to Shannon, please, and we'll um, do our best to answer them. Um, we're all in this together. We can do this, you know, one week at a time. So let's do that. You know, let's do that. Let's do the best we can. Absolutely. Thank you, Bonnie. Thank you, everybody. We're back tomorrow with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Our special guest is Vince Redman. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.